we've been talking about how there is in the Scriptures, there is um, revelation of a way or a path that we can find God. And in finding God, that we can find peace, that we can find restoration for what was lost um, whenever we sinned, that we can find um, a restoration of our relationship with Him. And in uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, there's the first part of that verse is really good. The last part is not so good. But anyway, the first part says, This is what the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. I don't know why I can't say that this morning. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. What I want to talk to you about today is there is in the Scripture, there is, um, God is, is basically over and over again, we see it, him telling his people through the prophets, through Jesus, through the apostles, over and over and again, he was saying, look, let me make it very plain to you. Here is what you do. Here's what you're looking for. If you want to find the path to me, if you want to find the path uh, uh, to restoration, if you want to find the path to forgiveness and mercy and love, this is it. Here it is. And uh, we see kind of a common theme throughout all of uh, man's history with God, um, and that is, is that God is always revealing His way over and over and over again. He's revealing and showing people uh, and telling people, here's the way, walk in it, this is the way. And He tells His people, the Israelites, and He tells them, this is it, this is what you're looking for, this is what you have to do. And in the New Testament, Jesus shows up on the scene and He says, I am the way, I'm what you've been looking for, this is the way to life, and over and over again. But... Um, and he tells mankind how he can walk in goodness and righteousness, how he can follow after and how he can find God, and he makes it plain to anyone who will listen. And what is man's constant re reaction to God's announcement that this is the way? What does he say? What does mankind say generation after generation? Mankind says, I'll do whatever I want, right? <laughs> That's kind of basically a short history of the history of mankind in the scriptures, right? Yeah, that's kind of it, is that mind, mankind says over and over again, I'll walk the way I want to. It's proven over and over again in generation after generations of the Israelites and even in uh, Christ's times when his own people rejected him. Uh, we'll read about that here in a little bit, but, but that, is, that is the case. And what I wanted to talk to you about this morning is specifically this issue with submission to God. And I tell you what, I really struggled with this. I, I have, uh, I plan out my sermons over, you know, I'll, I usually do series and it makes it easy where I can, where I can really hit on a, a number of things and a number of different angles to kind of get us all thinking the same way. And I've got them, you know, all kind of spelled out here for a few weeks. Um, but this one, uh, uh, Sherilyn and Brenda were asking me what I was going to preach on yesterday. And I really struggled with it all week uh, because when I had uh, really had uh, thought I was going to preach on, I, I just really, really wasn't comfortable with. So um, I hope this is for you this morning, because uh, this is not what I, really what I, what I was, had in mind to preach about. So anyway, um, but let me say this, um, just because I've prepared it doesn't mean we're ready. You know what I'm saying? If the Lord doesn't show up here and do the work by His Holy Spirit um, to teach us this morning, there's really no sense in us being here. Um, and so let's take some time here and ask for His help this morning as we enter His Word. Um, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord God, we know of your goodness. We, we just sang about your mercies, and, and Lord God, we do pray for them. We ask for them this morning, and, and Lord God, we know that you're honored by our requests. Uh, so Father, let us honor you this morning. We need you to teach us. We need what, what the Apostle Paul called your spirit of wisdom and revelation to come and to teach us and to show us, to open up your words to us, Lord God, that we may not only just hear them, but Lord, that, that we may really listen to them that we may be able to take it beyond just comprehension and take them into our hearts and say, now, 
Now, how does this work with me? How, how does this apply to me? What, what needs to change in me that I may be obedient to your word? So, Father, we ask for your help. We, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and do your ministry uh, to us this morning, with us this morning. We ask this in the name of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, if, if you are in Jeremiah chapter 18, would you read along? We're going to take this kind of section by section. We're going to start in Jeremiah chapter 18 and beginning in verse 1. So, Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But this pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Let me pause there for just a minute. In Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah is really working on the Israelites, really telling them what's coming, what's about to happen in God's punishment, because over and over again, instead of chasing after God, people are, the Israelites are chasing after, what, idols? Yeah, really, no, come on, this is a little interactive. It's okay to speak. It's all right. Uh, instead of chasing after God, they're chasing after idols. That's right, and especially Baals. But anyway, um, matter of fact, there's another part where God's speaking to them, and he says, don't wear out your sandals and, and let your throat grow dry chasing after idols. And uh, the people say basically, well, we can't help ourselves. We love the idols. And uh, really very, very sad, and, and God's talking about, and he'll read, we'll read here in just a little bit about he's talking about what's coming here for the Israelites because they continue to chase after idols. Uh, but anyway, he, God's using this metaphor for his people to show them what's happening with them, um, that he is obviously in this metaphor, who is the potter? Oh, no, really. I'm, no, I'm really. I'm, I, I, I like, I'll make you do laps and stuff and, and jumping jacks. All right, here we go. Who's the potter? And who's the clay? Yes, us by extension. Specifically, it's the Israelites here, but us by extension, yes, uh, is the Israelites. And, uh, and we, we learn a couple of very interesting things here. One is, is that the pot that, God was, that the potter was working on was marred. Seem familiar? <laughs> yeah. The pot that the, the, that the potter was working on was marred. A couple of interesting things. If, uh, if you go to Walmart and uh, you're looking for some new pots, um, you're not going to find any that are marred. You know why? Marred pots are useless, right? No one can use them for anything, right? Marred pots are of no value. Uh, they're useless, um, and they need to be remade. They need to be recast. And um, the, 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 the issue here is with pots and with us is that we are all marred by sin, right? God created, that's your first or second blank there, we are all marred by sin. We were created in the image of God, but due to the fall of God, his image was blemished in us. We no longer carried his image so well, and uh, we are all marred by sin. That's the first thing, and the first real recognition of, of who we are in God is that we are all marred by sin. Anyone marred by sin? Yeah, a few of you? Yes? Okay. Yeah, we're all marred by sin, right? Uh, what does uh, Paul write in, in uh, Romans chapter 3, 23? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We've all sinned. We're all marred and we all need to be, listen to me, we all need to be remade. We all need to be redone, okay? This is the basis of understanding of sanctification is I need to be changed. I need to be transformed. I need to be remade, okay? Now, I say that, but you don't get it, <laughs> right? Uh, 
we don't get this most of the time. We don't think in these terms very often. We think in terms of, of, of uh, self-assurance and, and, and self-confidence, and, and we don't think of these terms. But listen, if you've learned anything from the Scriptures, you've learned this, is that I am a sinful man, and, a, and, and if this is you talking here, and I am a sinful woman. Uh, not me talking for myself. That was for you ladies, see? No, that we're not confused. All right, but, and, and we are sinful people, and we are in need of transformation. We are in need of change, all right? And so in, in the hands of God is a marred pot, and so what does he do? He begins to reshape it. He begins to, begins to remold it. Okay, so in, um, uh, he formed it into another part. Um, um, he has a desire. God, he, his desire is to transform us into his here we go. This is an interesting word I stole right out of Ephesians. And of, he desires to mold us into his masterpiece. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says something very interesting. For we are God's workmanship. That word workmanship can mean a work of art or a masterpiece. We are a work of God's hands as he's molding us and shaping us. And look what it says. Because we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared advance for us to do. So here is the idea here, if I can combine these two ideas, is that the guy, the man, the potter who knows what the intention is for the pot is shaping the pot and molding it how he wants because he knows the purpose for the pot and the purpose for, uh, for what he's going to use it for, right? Okay, now in this example, we are the what? Lump of clay, right? Lump of clay. This is right. Some of this is one of the, the really glorious things that we get to be in, in some of the metaphors of the scripture. We're the lump of clay in this one, but in this case, here's the deal: is that God is shaping us and deforming us into something He wants and something. Listen, for which He has a purpose. That's a beautiful idea, isn't it? That's a beautiful thought, is that we who are marred by sin, God still has a purpose for and is molding and shaping us by our relationship and our, our following Jesus Christ and by his work on the cross, and he has purpose for us. Amen? Would you turn to your neighbor and say, God has purpose for you? And then turn to your other neighbor and say, God has purpose for you. Yes, yeah, God has purpose for you, and he shapes us and molds us exactly as he wants. And here's the last part of that, and the last part of verse 4. It says that how did, he shape, how did he form the pot? As he seemed fit, as seemed best to him, as seemed best to him. Um, let me, um, you're going you're gonna to have issues with God, and I'm going to have issues with God in this life over this concept um, until I guess we're dead, right? But... Who has the idea about what we should be transformed into? Is it the lump of clay? No, it's the potter, right? The potter is the one who gets to decide what, um, what, we, uh, what we're molded and shaped into. Has everyone, anyone ever prayed to God and say, I don't want this hardship, I don't want this thing, I don't want this suffering, I don't want this sin, I don't want this thing that you're doing in my life, Lord, I wish you would take it away from me. I'm, I'm not the only one, am I? Okay. Oh, good. All right. We're all safe here then. Um, we wrestle with God with this all the time. That, Lord, I don't like the stretching that you're doing. I don't like the way that you're, that you're pulling me here. I'm not comfortable with this. I don't, I'm not sure I have the strength for this. I'm afraid, Lord, when you stretch me to make me this little larger pot that I don't have the strength to take it. So, Lord, would you, would you just stop? Would you just you know, slow down? Would you just take and do this some other way? Um, and it happens in our lives, right, when we have trouble in our marriages or we have trouble with our children. 
uh, walking in a way that, is, uh, that we don't like them walking in. It happens in terms of finances whenever we don't have enough money that we, that we don't have the money that we need and God is shaping us and stretching us to learn to be dependent on him and we hate this part of being molded, don't we? And we argue with God over this part that, Lord God, really, do you have to do this? And yet he is, we'll read here in a little bit, producing something glorious because he has a purpose for it all. Amen? Did you hear me? All the stretching, all the suffering, all the sin, all the, tr- all the lessons on dependence that we have to go through, he has a purpose of it all because he has, in, uh, he has in mind the idea of the finished product, right? Okay. All right, let's continue. Um, oh, you know what? Before we do that, we're going to be in Jeremiah here a little bit, but don't, you don't have to flip there. Jason's going to have it. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, um, here's something very interesting is that the, the, the Israelites had been carried off into um, captivity. They had disobeyed him. They had run after idols over and over and over again, and God warned them over and over and over again, and he laid the path, the ancient way, the good path, the good way out in front of them over and over and again, and they said, "Uh, no, we're not going to walk that way. We're going to walk this way. We're going to chase after idols, and so finally, after warning, after warning, and prophet after prophet, God sold them off into captivity into foreign countries. Listen, in the midst, and one of those was Jeremiah got to go with those folks. Isn't that a great calling for one of his prophets? Yeah. But anyway, Jeremiah, God speaks to Jeremiah in chapter 29, verse 11. And listen, in their punishment, in the punishment as God was carrying it out, because God is always abundant in love and mercy, amen? This is good news for us. He's always abundant in love and mercy. He says in forgiveness, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, he says, For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So even in the midst of their punishment, even in the midst of the Israelites having been carried off into foreign lands by foreign people and subjected as their slaves, God said, but I have plans for you. I have plans to show you my goodness. I have plans to show you mercy. I have plans to give you a future and a hope. And then, of course, he would carry it out um, fully in his son, Jesus Christ, and uh, perhaps one day still to come. Amen? All right. Okay. Anyway, J- J- Jeremiah chapter 18. Before we go on there, but here's the deal. Um, we're we're going to wrestle with, uh, with this with God over all the rest of our lives. We're really going to have a hard time with Him with this because really, honestly, oftentimes we're short-sighted and we don't always want what God wants for us or what God has for us or what He's doing with us. But listen, the hope is this. Is it really in time as you walk with God over a number of years is that you begin to learn, I can trust him, right? As you have learned, as you've walked through something very difficult and you ask the Lord to take it away, but you get on the other side of it and you begin to realize, you know what, I couldn't see it at the time, but in the middle of all that, God was faithfully working on my character. He was changing me. He was bringing out the sin in me and he was replacing it with something good and something gracious and so I can see his love even in my hardship even in my suffering. And over time, God help us, we can learn to trust him that maybe he really does know what's best. And really, maybe he always does do what is most loving toward me, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it. Just out of curiosity, is anyone going through a time like that right now when you're just having a very difficult time seeing what the Lord's doing, seeing what, where he's at, and you're facing hardship, 
what you're facing hardship right now, and it's, we're, you know, we're just terrible at seeing what God's doing in the background while we're going through suffering. Several of you raised your hands. I want to encourage you this morning uh, to ponder and read up on this verse and, and some of the others that we're going to go through this morning because, listen, God does not punish or bring hardship for grins. He brings hardship and suffering so that he might create something better, something that wasn't like that or there before. Amen? And he is faithfully and diligently working with us like the potter works with the clay to bring about something for which he has a purpose. Amen? It is never just so that we suffer. It is always so that there might be a better product, a better work of his workmanship in us, and that we might come up out of it a better people. And it's always, listen, this is so important, it's always done in love. Amen? Okay, now let me ask another question. Who of you have walked through this, that kind of thing, and come out on the other end and been able to say, I couldn't see it at the time, but the Lord was doing a loving work in me? Anyone? Yeah, most of us. Yeah, I couldn't see it at the time, but God was doing a loving work in me. Okay, let's continue in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 5. Then the word of God, came, the word of the Lord came to, the, to, came to me of O Israel, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'll get in a second. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so, you are, so are you in my hand. O house of Israel, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not afflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended for it. Okay, what's that saying? Is that God gives warnings and offerings of mercy and forgiveness, and he gives warnings of judgment all the time, and to not just to Israel, but to other nations. And kind of the scary thing, but when God deals with people, sometimes he deals with individuals, and other times he deals with entire civilizations, right? But that's the sovereignty of our God. But anyway, what he's saying here is that he will limit his own sovereignty. He will limit his own decision-making based on how you and I respond to him, all right? And based on how the Israelites respond to him. Interesting enough, but that's, that's really not the focus of the sermon today, so we're going to keep going. But interesting it is that, to, you know, you, you, we talk a lot about it. Well, how, does, how does God's sovereignty and, and, and man's free choice work? Well, in the scriptures, people have real choices. They're not fake. They are real choices with real consequences. And yet God carries out his sovereign plan. Yes, it's amazing. That's why he's God. Okay. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, Some of these are some of the saddest verses in the Bible. It just breaks my heart. It's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us has followed the stubbornness of his evil heart. There are some of the verses in the Scripture that are just heartbreaking. When God says, here I am, I'm telling you what you have to do. I'm telling you how you live. I'm telling you if you will love me. I'm telling you if you will chase after and follow me instead of these little created things, these little idols, these things that you think give you security and safety and, and, uh, and good things in your life. If you'll chase and pursue after me instead, you'll live. You won't suffer. But again and again, the Israelites say, we will, it's no use. We'll continue with our own plans. Each of us follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. 
One of God's favorite uh, names for the, uh, the children of Israel, the, the Israelites, was a, they were a stiff-necked people. Um, I remember, uh, you know what that means is, uh, well, here you go. Um, whenever, for one of our kids' birthdays, we went and rode horses down in Paladuri Canyon. Um, it was a lot of fun. You should do it if you haven't ever. Um, but anyway, we, uh, we went down there, and, and I'm not on a horse much. I admire them. They're majestic and beautiful, but uh, I'd really rather drive a car. You know what I mean? It's fully under my control. Uh, you know those beasts, those, man, those horses, what, I don't know, weigh 600, 800 pounds or something horrendous and have the mind of a two-year-old, right, which to me is a very odd combination. But anyway... Um, a little bit scary, actually. So anyway, we were riding horses, and, and you know, I was, I, I was riding my horse, and I had the camera because I'm, you know, I'm the dad, and I'm taking pictures all the time. So uh, I'm taking pictures, and I don't realize what's going on, but we're about to go down a little, little ravine, a little, little dip. And uh, my horse um, is used to the trail, knows what's coming, and I don't. And uh, so in that way, this little, yeah, horse with the mind of a two-year-old is wiser than me, a little scary, humbling. But anyway, uh, so the horse... As, as we're going down, he doesn't like to work to do the work of climbing up on the other side of the ravine, right, when it goes uphill. So when he starts going downhill, he starts trotting, right? So he, he, gets his, he really gets his momentum up at the bottom of the, of, the, of, the little val, of the little ravine, and then that way it's a little easier to go up on the other side. Well, the bad thing is, is that all the other horses were having a little trouble getting up the hill, and so there was like, a, 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 instead of a car pileup, there was kind of a horse pileup where there's one horse against the other as they're going up the hill, and they kind of hate that. They bite each other and kick each other and rear up a little bit and stuff, and it could get a little bit out of control. But anyway, so, um, but as I, was, as I was riding the horse down, he starts trotting and almost bounces me right off, you know, uh, and so I'm hanging on for dear life. You know, the good thing is, you know, your legs are on him and you, your hands, and so, you know, everything you have wrapped around the horse as tight as I can. But, um, and, and so then, uh, then I learned because, you know, I am obviously smarter than the horse. So the next time we go down, I begin to pull on his reins a little bit and trying to increase a little room between us and the next horse because he gets angry when the other horse hasn't moved and he likes to take a bite out of his, his well, behind. And, uh, and it's Becca's horse. And anyway, it, they got into a little tussle there for a little bit. But anyway, um, so as they're running down, you know, I'm holding on and, and I'm pulling back on the reins. But in stiff-necked fashion, he refuses my commands. And he trots down the hill as fast as he can so that he can get up on the other side. This is what God said was what the Israelites were like. They were stiff-necked. He tried to lead them. He tried to turn them. He tried to show them the way. But in stiff-necked fashion, they would not relent. They, they were stubborn and obstinate in their ways, like that uh, beloved horse. I wish I could remember his name in Paladuro Canyon. But anyway, um, but we tend to be like that. And, and let me... Um, well, let's finish this passage and we'll talk a little bit more. Verse 13, therefore, this is what the Lord says, inquire among the nations who has ever heard anything like this. A most horrible thing has been done by virgin Israel. Does the snow of Lebanon ever vanish from its rocky slopes? Do its cool waters from distant sources ever cease to flow? In other words, what he's saying is that nature is consistent, but my people are fickle. Yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways and in the ancient paths. They made them walk in bypaths and on roads not built up. Okay. Another one of those saddest verses in the Bible in, in uh, verse 15 there. What does it say? My people have forgotten me. In Jeremiah chapter 2, um, it, he says, uh, well, yeah, let's read that. Jeremiah chapter 2 uses very similar language. Also very sad. 
Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken, broken cisterns that can hold no water. It is a sad and terrible thing to have forgotten the God who's delivered you. But this is the experience of really of all of mankind. We've been reading, it's really comfortable to read about the Israelites, of course, here. But in Romans chapter 1, Paul writes, and he's writing specifically about, about the uh, uh, Gentiles here in, in Romans chapter 1, and he, he writes about them and he says, basically he tells them, he says, listen, the creation was given so that you could see the divine nature of God and his glory, so that you could see it, and so that you could then, you know, so he's given this and he's shown it to you, and so God's given a revelation of himself through everything that's seen. When you look at the stars, when you look at birds, when you look at ants, when you look at plants, when you see the, the, the uh, winter change into spring, all of those things, you begin to see the creativity and the divine nature of God. Amen? His divine nature, his, his power, we begin to see that in creation. But the problem, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he says, is that we didn't respond correctly. He says, instead of worshiping God, he uses the very same language as, as uh, Jeremiah did here in, in chapter, 20, chapter 2. He says, they exchanged the, their glory, the glory of their God, for worthless idols. And they, be, they began to worship um, uh, created things. So instead of worshiping God, they began to worship what he created. The intention of what he created was to point us to, to look for and give honor and praise and thanks to God, but instead they worshiped worthless idols. But it doesn't end there. God always bringing about revelation. It is what he does over and over again in John chapter 1, the, the greatest revelation that God gave of himself in John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. It says this about the word, or also this is uh, John using a metaphor for Jesus. It says, he, meaning Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Again, some really sad, really terrible verses. Jesus, through Jesus Christ, all of creation was made. And when Jesus showed up in all of creation, what did creation do? We didn't recognize him, right? We didn't recognize him. So a question, if this is really part of the human experience, is that God is over and over and over revealing himself to us and showing us how to walk in the good way and how to find him, why in the world is it that we get it wrong generation after generation after generation, even after multiple times where we have multiple prophets writing, where we've had even Jesus himself come and still people miss it People don't see it and people don't recognize what God has done. Um, Paul writes about this in a couple of places. One is in Romans chapter 7, uh, but the other place that's very much simpler and shorter is Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. He says this, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit, here he's talking about believers in particular, but for, and the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. That's pretty succinct, isn't it? How come you don't do what you want? Well, because the sinful nature 
doesn't want what your spiritual nature does, right? And so while I may want to follow God well, while I may want to be very obedient to Him, there is always going to be a part of this body, this sinful, fallen body, that doesn't want any part of it, okay? Now, I can prove that this is happening in your life. Ready? How many of you struggle with prayer? Oh, weird. How many of you struggle with, uh, with consistency in, in Scripture reading? How many of you really struggle in, in really meditating on uh, the Scriptures and learning and really applying those in your life? Huh, weird. Okay, it's really not so much, is it? It is our sinful nature that is in rebellion, just as it's been for every generation, in rebellion against God, saying, I know the way, but I'm going to do my own thing. It is no use. I'm going to do my own, I'm going to follow my own way, okay? Um, let me tell you, this is what I'm giving you today is the basis of sanctification. That is, there's a recognition that there is a sinful nature in me. And just like the clay in the potter's hands, it needs to be transformed. It needs to be changed. It needs to be made by the master and created and stretched and molded and squeezed to the point to make it something that it wasn't before. But here's the great news. God is all about that. Amen? He loves doing that work. In fact, it is for his glory that he's taken people who struggle with some very simple things in following him, and he says, now watch, I'm going to make something glorious out of this. By the activity and by the suffering and by the work of my son, these people are going to bring me glory because you've seen them, and they're like a lump of clay, but one day they're going to be like glory. They're going to be glorious, and they're going to be glorious like my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those kinds of statements in the, uh, would be hard for me to make, except that they're in the Bible, right? That uh, that's, tends to be really helpful. Anyway, um, let me take you through just a couple of things. Um, here's a whole bunch of blanks for you. Um, the first one is the way of refusal. I wanted to give you these things um, because you and I need to know where we're at. We need to know when we're struggling with these things and, and where we're at when we're doing them. The first thing is, um, if you want to continue, if, if you would like to be in stubborn refusal for where God's leading you, here you go. The first one is disregard for God's will. How do you show a disregard for God's will? I'm sorry? Doing your will and, and just, yeah, disregard like... Uh, not being in the scriptures, right? How is God's will revealed mostly? Well, being in the scriptures, meditating on them, letting, letting the Spirit work them in us. A, a total disregard for God's will will keep you out of the scriptures. Um, and then the second one is, that's the first step. The second one is defense of my own sin, right? When the Holy Spirit comes or when someone comes and approaches us about something that we struggle with, what do we do? We say, oh, no, not me, right? Defense of sin. That's the way to continue in the stubborn and uh, refusal. The next thing is what happens is there's a deepening of my sin. In Romans chapter 1, I'm sorry, yeah, that's right. Romans chapter 1, Paul's talking and he talks, talks to the, uh, uh, the, the Romans and he tells them about, um, about themselves and he tells them that you guys worshiped idols and so God gave you over to your sin, that your sin would increase actually, right, because you continue down that road, down that wrong road. And the, the last thing is this, um, how to continue in stubborn refusal is dependence on myself. And let me say this real quickly before we move on. If you think you're going to be able to do this on your own, you are wrong, right? Your sinful nature will never allow you the victory. The victory only comes through the power of God's Holy Spirit and the victory that was won in Jesus Christ at the cross and his resurrection. Amen? Amen. Okay. Let me tell you the way of submission is this. The first thing is revelation of God's will. 
through Bible study, through the Holy Spirit and other believers, we begin to see what God's will is, right? Matter of fact, there are several places in the New Testament where it says, this is God's will for you, colon. <laughs> it usually talks about holiness, right? Sexual purity. Uh, so anyway, anyone ever struggle with knowing what God's will? It says there, right there in, in Paul's letters, this is God's will, boom, yeah, here it is. And it usually has to talk about holiness or sexual purity. Okay, um, and th- through Revelation, listen, how much of revelation of God's will are you getting if you're not in the Scriptures? Very, very little. It can happen, but it's not common, right? This is the way. This is the path. It's like God's taken us out into a pasture or into a forest, and he said, this is the way. This is the path. If you want to continue in righteousness, walk in Bible study. Walk in meditation on my word, all right? The next thing is, is uh, so that's the first step, is there is a re- revelation of the will. It only happens as we're in the, in the Scriptures, relying on the Holy Spirit and in accountability and relationship with other believers. The next thing is this, is realization of my own sinful nature. Realization is that next blank there. The next thing is this, is that it's one thing to read the Word of God, right? You've experienced this, I've experienced this. It's one thing to read the do- will of God. It's another thing entirely to do something about it, right? You ever read the Bible and you get through and you get done and you check it off and then about two hours later you can't even remember what you read? It happens to all of us, right? It happens to every one of us. It's another thing entirely to meditate on it and to pray about it and ask God, what should I do in response to what I've read? What do I do in response to what I've read? How am I supposed to act? What is supposed to change in me? And there's a recognition that, listen, if you don't like to be in the Scriptures, if you don't like to be in prayer, if you're avoiding it, if it, you know, it's easier for you to sit there and watch SportsCenter, even though they repeat the same stories, or CNN, I'm sorry, we're in the South, Fox News, when you're watching Fox News and they repeat the same thing over and over again, and you can sit and do that for hours, but being in the Scripture, it's really hard, right? Or being in prayer, it's really hard to do. That is our sinful nature, and it's recognizing That is my sin rebelling against you, God, and I need your help to solve it. I need you to work in me to solve it. Okay. Realization of my second nature, my sinful nature. Uh, The third thing is repentance of my sin. Repentance means very simply in the scriptures what? It's a turning away. It's a turning away from a sinful thing and a turning towards something good and holy and right. And it's it's saying to God, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do this instead. And so I repent. I agree with you that I should be doing this and I'm asking for your help. And that's the last thing is reliance on God's power to change me. Reliance on God's power. Dependence on and faith in God's ability to overcome my sin. Listen, I know we talk about this a lot, but sometimes we believe more in the power of our sin than we believe in the power of God. Did you hear me? Sometimes you believe more in the power of your sin to hold you and to make and keep you a slave than you believe in the power of God. I'm telling you, there is no contra- there's no comparison. God's power is greater, amen? And he has the ability to work out in you greater obedience and a greater love for him than you've had, amen? And he desires to do it. I want to close with this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, says something very, really beautiful. He's talking about Moses, how Moses went up on the mountain and he came down and his face shone in the radiance of God. His face actually showed radiance when he came down on the, from the mountain, right? And, uh, but after time, it began to fade. And so for fear, apparently, he covered his face so the people wouldn't see the glory of God fading, okay? But the writer, Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, he says, we're kind of like that, except we're not wearing veils, And instead of the glory of God fading, the glory of God is ever increasing in us. 
And he's talking about you know, what we talk about in theological circles, sanctification. The work of God from the part that you become a Christian until the day that you die, God is always bringing about a greater revelation of Jesus Christ in your life. Amen? So be it. Amen? Yeah. This is a beautiful thing. Okay, so at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect or contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. Let me stop you right there. What are we becoming like? We're becoming like Jesus Christ. It is God's desire. I told you before that we are the workmanship of God, it says in Ephesians. We are God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece. This is it. This is, the, this is the goal here, is that we might be more transformed into Jesus Christ. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay. I start, let, me start the way I, uh, let me finish the way I started this. God is incredibly interested and probably more interested than you and I are, right? in making us more like Jesus Christ, in transforming us into something greater, in transforming us into something that he can use, into taking that lump of clay and really working it so that we might be useful his, for his purposes. And here's the confidence I have. He's got to do it. And so it's going to get done. Amen? It's not relying on me. It's not waiting on me. Uh, certainly, I have a part. Certainly, I have a, a role. But, you know, my role is like this, and God's role is like this. Are, are you with me? I, I have a very small part in, in, um, in working with him and being cooperative with him in his work, and part of that is Bible study and prayer and meditation and accountability and community with other believers. But the other huge part is that God brings about victory as we walk with him day after day in those things. It is he who does all the real heavy lifting. Amen? And listen, it is his desire that he brings people who are very sinful and very marred and transform them. He loves this. And transform them into the likeness of his glorious son. Amen? That's a glorious work, isn't it? All right. We need to pray and, and go. Let's pray together. Lord, like the, like the old hymn says, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Father, um, we just want to come and, and uh, Lord, it, it is a struggle for us to remain consistent, to be consistent in prayer life, to be consistent in, uh, in, in studying and meditating on your scriptures. It is, it is uh, difficult, Lord, for us to be consistent in, our, uh, in relationships of accountability. But Father, we know that that's your will for us. And so, Lord, we know that it'll be accomplished for us. And Lord, we look to you. We look to you as our creator and as the, the, our God and our sanctifier. And Lord God, we pray that you would bring about your purposes in our lives, that you would bring about a, a greater glory in our, in our lives that we might look more and more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, even there are some of us here today that don't even have that desire. But Father, I believe in your ability to change that too. Lord, change us, transform us, we pray. Make us more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, so that we may, Lord God, reflect your fingerprints and, and reflect your glory and to, and, to, uh, and to bring you glory, Lord God, by the change that you're making in, in us. We ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Thanks for being here this week. I love you.